0: Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tolkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshachinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Wonderful Shabbat that you have given us this opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha, as family, to worship before you, to open your Word, to receive from you, Father. I pray that you speak boldly into our hearts and our lives today, Father. I pray that uh, you open our hearts to receive and have understanding through your voice and your Spirit, and Father, I pray that uh, that nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray, and everyone says. Omen. Uh This week uh, is Parsha Ha'Azinu, uh, which is the final Torah Parsha of the, uh, that's read in the synagogue Shabbat service of the Torah cycle for the year. Um, however, we're going to actually shift our focus a little bit from normality on Shabbat, um, and we're going to focus on the Torah Parsha. Today is what's known as Shabbat Shuva or the Shabbat of Return, also known as Shabbat Teshuvah, the Shabbat of Repentance. Uh, Shabbat Shuvah falls every year in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. One of the primary reasons that it's called Shabbat Shuvah is because every year, the Haftorah Parsha that is read is Hosea 14, uh, verses 2 through 10 in the traditional uh, numbering, verses 1 through 9 in the typical English numbering, And uh, this begins with the words, Shuvah Yisrael Ad Adonai Elohecha. Uh, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Um, And so, on Shabbat Shuvah, when the entire Jewish world is focused on repentance already, because we're in the middle of the ten days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we're focusing on returning back to the Lord, this is the Haftorah Parsha that's read. Now, it's also the Haftorah Parsha for Deuteronomy 31, and on years where Deuteronomy 31 is a double parshot, uh, with the parsha right before it, ha, uh, Hazinu is the parsha that uh, the Shabbat Shuva Haftorah falls on. So that no matter what, we read this parsha between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and it's a very valid and important uh, time period to be reading it. I want to set up a little history for you on on where we are at this point in Israel's uh, Israel's life. This is the prophet Hosea, speaks to the nation of Israel as a prophet, but specifically to the northern kingdom. Uh, The estimates are somewhere around 722... Before Common Era, Uh, so just before the northern kingdom was dispersed. So by this point, the nation of Israel has now uh, separated and broken away into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, uh, which was centralized around Jerusalem where the temple stood and the the Davidic throne rested, and then the northern kingdom, uh, which was a much larger, more vast part of the land of Israel. Um, the, The northern kingdom, when they separated off, the very first thing that they did was they set up altars all along the southern perimeter of the northern kingdom. Uh, and these altars altars were mimics of the altar in the temple, but they were two false gods. They were two idols. Even if they weren't two idols, the reality is, is that the Lord said once he has established his name in the city that the tabernacle or the temple would dwell, which is Jerusalem, that the offering could no longer be made, the burnt offering could no longer be made anywhere in the world, but in that single location. Which, considering there's no temple standing in Jerusalem, there's no altar and no holy of holies in Jerusalem today, is the the primary reason we cannot make sacrifice today in Judaism because we can't do it outside of uh, Jerusalem, outside of the temple. And so as we look at this in history, what we see is the northern kingdom broke away over the lineage of the Davidic throne. They wanted their own king, they wanted their own setup, they didn't want to follow Solomon's children and so on. Uh, And so after Solomon, the two kingdoms broke apart. The northern kingdom immediately set up these altars along the southern perimeter specifically for the point of prohibiting those who lived in the northern kingdom from going to Jerusalem to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, And so it was a very intentional reality, a very intentional uh, 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 detour for the Northern Kingdom. Now we do have a representation of each of the tribes that lived in the Northern Kingdom, in the southern kingdom because all of those that still wanted to serve the god of abraham isaac and jacob actually moved down to the southern kingdom where they were worshiping and living among those of the southern kingdom and uh and worshiping in the davidic kingdom and at the temple itself in jerusalem uh and so the northern kingdom meaning the first to fall away from the lord was also the first to be dispersed and uh the assyrian armies came in and and kind of wiped the northern kingdom out and pushed all of the, the Israelites in the northern kingdom into the Galut, into the diaspora, the, Dasbra, the, the uh, uh, exile throughout the the, the globe. Uh, and then when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah and we read about the return of, of, of the Jewish people back to uh, Jerusalem, we actually see that there were those from all of the tribes scattered around all the nations that were brought back again. So even this loose concept of lost tribes, and we can talk more about this at Oneg if you'd like, but the loose concept of lost tribes uh, is is bogus. There's no such thing as lost tribes. God didn't lose them, right? It's not like, oh, I don't know where they went. They're hiding too well. I dispersed them too well. I don't know where they went. It's crazy. It's the, the cups, you know, the shifting cups trying to Um, You know, but God knew where they were the whole time. They knew where they were. And we see historically that once the northern Kingdom was dispersed into the Galut, into the diaspora, um, that what we end up realizing is those of the northern kingdom almost immediately returned back to God in faithfulness, but were stuck where they were. And when the the Israelites, the Jewish people, came back to the the city of Jerusalem to rebuild during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they also returned with them. So here, the prophet Hosea is not speaking to the nation of Israel as in all 12 tribes represented in the nation. He's speaking specifically to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, not to the southern kingdom of Judah. He's speaking specifically of the northern kingdom, which has already entirely walked away from the Lord. So we pick up in Hosea fourteen two, which begins with the words in Hebrew, <speaking> in Hebrew, Return, O Israel, to Adonai your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to Adonai, say to him, "...take away all iniquity and accept what is good, so we may repay with offerings of our lips. Assyria would not, will not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will never again say our God to the works of our hands... For with you orphans find mercy. And then he continues in verse 5. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger will turn away from him. I will be like dew for Israel. He will blossom like a lily and thrust out the roots like Lebanon. His tender shoots will spread out. His beauty will be like an olive tree. And his fragrance will be like Lebanon. Those dwelling in his shadow will return. They will grow grain and bud like a vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Now, again, going back to history before we really start to pick this apart, going back to history, uh, everybody's read the book of Hosea. I mean, it's a short one. It's pretty easy to move through. It's a little tormenting and demented and weird, but uh, it's, it's a really interesting thing to look through. We see the prophet Hosea. The Lord calls out the prophet Hosea and says, hey, I want you to go marry this prostitute make her your wife. And Hosea's like, okay. <laughs> or at least that's the way I picture it in my head. I can't see him being like Abraham, being called away from his father's house, going, all right, let's go. I'm, I'm pretty sure there was some trepidation in his actions, but he wanted to follow the Lord. So he marries this prostitute. They have a couple of kids. The kids got some really painful names. Uh, and then she runs off again, back to prostitution. And I'm imagining that in Hosea's mind, he's going, who didn't see that coming? Uh, and so the Lord then comes back to Hosea and says, hey, go take her back again as your wife and make her yours again. And, and I'm sure Hosea is now going, huh. uh, "Oh, okay, uh, if, I, if I have to, if I don't really have another choice. And he goes back and he takes her back at his wife and uh, and I can imagine this process probably wasn't the only time it occurred, but was, was likely something that was a regular occurrence because the Lord was using this as an example uh, through the prophet Hosea for the nation of Israel. And what the, the, the whole example was, the whole purpose to this, was the Lord was speaking through Hosea and saying, Hey, listen, you need to wake up because this is exactly how you're treating me. At Sinai, we went into a marriage covenant between Adonai and Israel. And Israel is my bride. Israel is my people. My holy people who I'm, I've chosen to be a light the nations. I have set you aside. I have entered the marriage covenant with you. And yet here you are trouncing off after all the gods of the people of Canaan before you and all these other nations around you. Instead of worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, instead of worshiping me, the one true and only God of all creation, you're out here prostituting yourselves with all these other gods. Yet... I am always still going to take you back. I will always draw you back into myself. I will never forget or forsake you. Just come back. And we pick up in uh, in verse 2 of Hosea 14. says, return, O Israel, to the Lord my God. And the Lord your God. In other words, all you have to do is come back to me. The prophet of Hosea, the prophet Hosea is one of the prophets, is speaking that Israel is going to, the, the northern kingdom of Israel is going to be destroyed and disbanded among the nations because of their lack of faithfulness, their lack of righteousness, their lack of emonah, their lack of faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, they are going to be sent away. He goes, but just like in Isaiah, as we read through Isaiah, the same message going to the southern kingdom of Judah, the message is always the same. I am going to wipe you out unless you come back to me. If you make teshuvah, if you return back to me, I will forgive your sins. I will forgive your, verse 5, I will heal your backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger will turn away from him. I will be like dew for Israel. He will, be, he will blossom like a lily and thrust out his roots like, Lebanon, like the Lebanon. And he goes on through this whole imagery of restoration and renewing and restoring Israel and bringing them back to the, the, the place that they were of glory. And the idea here ultimately would be a reunified Israel, a reunified gathering of the two. Another passage that's read uh, in Sephardic synagogues on Shabbat Shuvah is Micah 7:18 through 20, which we just uh, dealt with at our Tashlik service, uh, which talks about the Lord casting the sins into the depths of the sea and forgiving our sins. Um, and, uh, and there's also a passage out of Joel 7 that's read that deals with repentance as well on the Ashkenazi side. But I want to bring this back to our Torah portion real quick. If you go back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 15. This image of Israel needing to return or at least being a wholehearted in faithfulness to the Lord and the covenant, the marriage covenant that we have with him is so pertinent throughout the Torah. But in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 15, it says, But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Who, you grew fat and grew thick. You gorged. I think it's talking about me. Uh, you gorged. He forsook God who made him. He mocked the rock of his salvation. Um, they made him jealous with strangers with abominations, they angered him. They sacrificed the demons a non-god, gods that had, they had not known, the new ones who came in lately, ones your fathers had not dreaded. Um, the rock who gave birth who birthed you, you ignored. You forgot God, who brought you forth. Jeshuron is another name that the Lord uses for Israel throughout the Tanakh. Uh, it means upright ones or the upright ones and uh, it's a term of endearment. So when we see the word Jeshuron, which comes from the root word yashar, when we see the word Jeshuron throughout the scriptures, it's a term of endearment to Israel. The Lord is saying, you are the upright ones. I have set you up. And at this point, Israel was the second generation of Israel, Moses is, is talking to, and, and they actually weren't too bad yet, right? They hadn't kind of destroyed their their entire relationship with the Lord yet. They were faithfully trusting him to bring them into the promised land and cross the Jordan. And so here, this term of endearment, uh, Jesharon is being used. But he says, the time will come where you will mock the rock of your salvation. Uh, You will uh, forget the rock who birthed you, ignore the rock who birthed you, and you'll forget the God who brought you forth. And that image, I want you to grasp this, because as believers, I think this is an accusation against us as much as it was against Israel in the Tanakh, because we do the exact same thing we regularly disregard our relationship with the Lord what's worse is a lot of times in the midst of that disregarding our relationship with the Lord we do so willingly we choose to not things that we accidentally fall into you know, there, there are, in reality, and, and, and if we guard ourselves properly in prayer and, and study the word in relation to the Lord, these are less often. But there are times where we can accidentally sin. A thought will cross your mind that you didn't intend. You didn't have the barrier up for that split second. Something comes in and you've got to, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Please help me make sure that does not ever happen again, right? But there are times where we're like, you know, God, I'm just going to put you in my back pocket for a little while. I'm going to walk over here and have some fun and do what I want to do. Um, and, uh, and I may or may not come back to you at some point. Uh, and as believers, a lot of times that's the way we interact with the Lord, is when we're in services, you know, we're on fire for God. When we're in the Word, we're on fire for God. We want that relationship, but when we're out there, when we're interacting with the rest of the world, we don't want to be that guy, right? We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be looked at. And so uh, even as believers, a lot of times we forget or ignore or mock the rock of our salvation. And we look through the scriptures and we recognize that the Lord says anytime we sin that that's exactly what we're doing. We are mocking our Creator we are mocking our relationship. And as believers, we are mocking our restoration and salvation in him. Read through Hebrews five times in the book of Hebrews. Does the Lord um, commend Israel not to forget their salvation, not to walk away from their salvation, not to forsake their salvation uh, because of how horrendous it is to God. And we go down to verse 21 and Deuteronomy 32 to pick up the thought. He says, they made me jealous with a non-God. They vexed me with every idols. So I will make them jealous with a non-people, with a foolish nation. I will vex them. And skipping down to 26, uh, which is exactly, by the way, what happens with the Assyrians, the Babylonians. You know, these people didn't exist uh, during the, the days of the second generation of Israel. All of a sudden, they kind of pop up out of nowhere. And the Lord uses them to wipe Israel out, to take them out of the promised land. And he says exactly what, and he does exactly what he says. I'm going to use, I'm going to make them jealous with a non-people, with a foolish nation. I will vex them. Verse 26, I would have said, I will hack them to pieces, make the memory of them cease from mankind. And here's where it gets interesting. Except I dread the taunt of the enemy. Let their foes, uh, lest their foes might misconstrue, lest they say our hand is held high. And Adonai has not done all of this. In other words, all of the redemption and the blessings over Israel. The Lord says, I would have completely wiped Israel out, except I don't want the nations to see that and not grasp the reality of my salvation and my love. Moses, over and over again, the Lord says, look, I'm done with these idiots. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses goes, but, but Lord, what are the Lord, what's Egypt going to think? What are the nations of the land of Canaan going to think? What are the nations of the land? Why is Moses' mind on that? Why is Moses' mind here? It's because what is the Lord called Israel to be but a light to the nations, right? So it, whether it's in us spreading the light of Messiah or in, in this case in the, the Tanakh, whether it's us spreading the, the faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Shekinah that dwelled in the tabernacle with the nations around us, or it's us showing how much God can restore us in salvation, the Lord is not going to entirely and completely destroy Israel. Because if he does, then the nations will not see his redemptive work in the people who he's called out specifically to be a light to the nations. And so the Lord, and I I think it's a a pertinent reality. We've got to grasp this. The Lord says, I want to get rid of you because no matter what, I'm, I'm almost certain that the same thought went through his head with Adam and Eve. I want to get rid of you because I know that you're just going to mess it all up again. I know I'm going to build you back up and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to restore your land and all these things are going to happen and then you're going to forget about what I've done for you and you're going to walk away from me. I know it's going to happen. I know you're going to be like Hosea's wife, and you are going to prostitute yourself again. You are going to walk away from me to go serve other gods, whether it's physical idols on a mantle, or it's money, or it's work, or it's a car, or it's a sports team, or anything else. We are going to idolize things and put them ahead of our relationship with the Lord. And the Lord says, I know this is going to happen, but I love you. And the work that I want to do through you for the people around you is so much greater than how much I hate the actions of your life. And I'm going to restore you, renew you. And we see this very reality in the person of Shimon Kepha and Simon Peter. and John, uh, in, in, in Matthew, Luke, and John, we see this narrative. But in John uh, chapter 18, we read about Yeshua being persecuted in the trial that he's going to stand uh, before the the Kohen Gadol and uh, ultimately the, the, the leaders of Israel on the Roman government side. Verse 15 of John 18 says, Simon Peter was following Yeshua with another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, so he went with Yeshua into the court of the Kohen Gadol, but Peter was left standing outside by the door. So the people, so the other disciple who was uh, known to the Kohen Gadol went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Verse 17, the maidservant at the door says to Peter, aren't you one of this man's disciples too? He says, no, I'm not. The servants and officers were standing around a fire they had made because it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. Verse 25, skipping down. Now Simon Peter was standing outside and warming himself. So they said to him, aren't you one of his disciples too? And he denied it and said, no, I'm not. One of the servants of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. Yeshua told Peter at that final Passover Seder, look, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Before morning comes, you are going to deny me. And Peter, there's no way I'm going to do that, God. No worries. I've got you covered. Uh, I'm the one that drew the sword to defend you in the, the garden. I am not going to forsake you in this trial and this time. Uh, I'm going to be right there. And lo and behold, right out the gate before Peter could do anything about it, Three times he's asked, Aren't you one of Yeshua's disciples? And each of those three times he returns and says, No, I'm I'm not one. I'm not one of them. Don't don't think of me like that. I'm not one of them. And we see and, and personally I look at this and I think about my own life and, and the way I've walked in my relationship with the Lord and the things that I've done in the same sense and scenarios I've been in where I've tried to kind of cloak my face so as not to 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 uh, to be you know looked at weird or what have you. I've been in situations um, where it would have been much easier, you know, when we lived in New York and we lived in this heavily Hasidic community or, or uh, area, and it would have been much easier for me to have, have put a ball cap on and tucked my seat seat in and never had to worry about being asked questions. Uh, you know, why, why do you not look like us but you wear the yarmulke and siti? Why are you not dressed like us? Why are you not worshiping with us? Why are you not, uh, or, you know, when I worked in restaurants in New York, they weren't uh, 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 Orthodox, you know, they weren't kosher-owned restaurants. They weren't kosher restaurants. Uh, and so people would come past in the mall that I was in and they would see me, you know, the, the ultra-Orthodox, the Hasidim would see me working there with the yarmulke on, and they would ask, you know, is this restaurant kosher? It's <laughs> TGI Fridays. Do you watch a commercial? It is not kosher not kosher. Uh, but but you know, is this place kosher? No, no, it's not. So what are you doing here? Well, my family's got to eat, right? Uh, and, but you have opportunity where easily, I could, I could have easily never had the discussion with a Hasidic Jew um, about my faith in Messiah where I knew they were going to get angry. I knew they were going to get irate. I knew they were likely to spit in my face or punch me or anything uh, along those lines. I knew it was very much a real possibility. I could have easily tucked in my CT, put a ball cap on, and never had to worry about it, ever. Wouldn't have been a problem. I wouldn't have even thought twice about it. Except there was a conviction on my heart that I wasn't supposed to do that. And I walked around these communities and had opportunities. I worked at an Enterprise Rent-A-Car for for a while in Muncie, New York, which is uh, about 99% Hasidic. Almost every single branch of Hasidic Judaism is represented in this community Muncie. Um, And I worked in this Enterprise Rent-A-Car in the heart of Muncie, and uh, literally about 75% of our clientele at that branch were Hasidim. Um, And it was the only branch that I know of in the country that was open on Sunday. Uh, because uh, all of them are almost always closed on Sundays. They're open on Saturdays. Our branch was open on Saturdays and on Sundays because most of our clientele would not bring their cars back on Saturdays, but they would on Sundays. Um, and so I volunteered to work Sundays because nobody else wanted to work them, and they worked Saturdays because I wasn't going to. Um, and, but I worked in this, this, this enterprise, and these people would come in, the, the Hasidim would come in, and they'd come straight to me because they'd see a Jewish guy. And they'd come straight to me to ask questions or talk to or to do their business and I'd be the one that would have to drive them back to, their, to the yeshiva or back to their homes or whatever and I would have these one-on-one conversations with people. And they'd go, so, uh, so where do you go to Shul? I'd tell them I actually go to Long Island to Shavai Zal. Oh, well, what kind of, kind of congregation? It's a messianic. It's a what? What are you talking about? And get a chance to share about Messiah and get a chance to show them the love of Messiah no matter what their response was. These are things that would be very easy to have hid if I wanted to. But instead, I had the opportunity to shine that light of Messiah into people's lives and hearts. And I can imagine myself being Peter. I can imagine how easy it would be to, in the face of danger, I mean, they're about to kill Yeshua. Why in the world would I want to own up to that and be in his shoes? Right? Why would I want to put myself in that situation? I can totally, I can totally uh, uh, sympathize with Peter. It's not at all a problem for me, and I hope most of you can Because the reality is we've always been, all been in those situations anyways. It's been plenty of times. I told you about some where I did the right thing, but there's been plenty of times that I've had opportunity to do the right thing and did the wrong thing instead. Paul says, I would want to do the right thing, but the wrong thing is all I can do, right? That my mentality is a part of humanity due to fallen nature of sin, but through the restoration of Messiah, we can do right. And so here in in chapter 21, we see Messiah now is resurrected from the dead, and he's interacting with the tamadim, the disciples again. And in verse 7, and setting up for this, we see that Peter now, as far as he knows, Yeshua's dead. He's in the ground, and uh, he was called away from fishing to go and and minister with Yeshua. And what's he going to do now? (laughs) Everything he's been doing for the last three and a half years is now washed away. What's he do? He goes back to fishing right? He goes right back to what he was doing before. He knew that. It's easy to go back to who we were before. And as believers, it's just as easy to go back to who we were before. But here he goes back to fishing because he didn't know what else to do. Not to mention he was already brokenhearted over the realization as soon as that rooster crowed, I think the light went on. He went, oh crap. I drew a sword to defend him in the garden and at his trial, I didn't have the chutzpah enough to stand for him. And I imagine he's brokenhearted here, and he goes back to what he always knew, which was fishing. And it wasn't being productive. And verse 7 says, Therefore the disciple whom Yeshua loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. He was standing on the shores. It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around himself, for he was stripped down for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat from about 200 cubits offshore, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out, of the, out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish placed on it and bread. It's really interesting, the setup here. What was Yeshua standing around? A fire. What was Peter standing around when he denied Messiah? A fire. He was standing warming himself at a fire. Here he sees Yeshua. He jumps out the boat. He swims back to shore and he runs up to Yeshua. And Yeshua's around a fire. And I imagine in Peter's mind, he's going, oh, that's what it's about. <laughs> you're you're going to call me out on this, are you? I mean, it was a fire, and you're God, and you know all, and that was a fire. and you're Okay, I, okay, what, what are we going to do here? What's going on? Verse 15 says, when they had finished breakfast, Yeshua said to Simon Peter again around the fire, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. He said to him, take care of my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Yeshua said to him, feed my sheep. A lot of times people get hung up on the Greek, right? Because there's two different words of of love in the Greek that's used here. Twice, agape, which is this deep, intimate love. And then the third time is uh, philia, which is a little bit of a a lesser love. It's more like a friendship love, right? And uh, and there are people that teach, well, the first two times, Lord said, do you love me more than anything? Do you love me with this intimate relationship love? And Peter said, you know, I do. And the Lord didn't quite get it and uh, grasp it, uh, didn't believe it. And so this time he went down to Peter's level and said, do you love me like a brother? Like, do you, do you have, and that's not at all what's going on here. Honestly, I, I don't know that the Greek really matters as much in the choice of words of love that are used here as much as the scene and what's going on. This whole message is about redemption. It's about redemption. The type of love doesn't matter, but it's about redemption. What is it that Peter was before Messiah called him out as a Talmud, as a disciple? A fisherman. A fisherman. What is it the Lord said that he would make him? A fisher of men. And then we move forward to after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. What is it Peter returns to because he doesn't know what else to do? Being a fisherman. Not a fisher of men. A fisherman. Immediately goes back to that. And so Yeshua comes and he says, No, no, I've not called you to be a fisherman anymore. That game's done. You're no longer a fisherman. And he brings him to a fire. The very scenario that he denounced messiah at that he recanted his following of messiah with the very scenario that he fell prey to what messiah said he was going to do in denying him and he brings him before this fire and he says do you love me do you love me do you love me three times he denies messiah three times yeshua gives him opportunity to restore love and relationship it was restoration it was restoration The very next thing he says is, you're no longer a fisherman. You're now the shepherd. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Fishermen don't handle sheep. It's not their job. It's not their role. It's not in their wheelhouse. Shepherds handle sheep. Peter became the lead disciple, if you would, in Acts. The Lord called him to be a shepherd of the body and the flock of Messiah. And so what we see as we move through this, is the Lord is calling us to teshuvah to return. And on this Shabbat Shuvah, I want you to grasp the idea that the type of return that is being called for in Hosea, Shuvah israel, ad adonai elohecha, return of oh Israel to the Lord, your God, is a type of return, repentance, teshuvah that we see of Peter, the, 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 one of the most prominent disciples in Scripture, as he's being restored and returned back to Yeshua, back to Messiah, no matter what. We see the same image come up, this concept come up in Romans, and it was actually one of the songs that we used in worship this morning, Enendi Bush, I am unashamed. Romans 1, the, Paul talks about this. Paul stood at the fire at the Kohen Gadol's house and was ashamed of who he was, was ashamed of who he ministered to because he knew that it could lead to his death. Look, we're in days now. That's a reality for us, whether we like it or You, you don't believe me, look at Iran look at Iraq, look at North Africa, look at China, look at Korea, look in Germany, look in England, look in France, look, at, believers are dying because of their faith. The question is, are you going to be Peter before Messiah's death and resurrection, who is too afraid to go through it yourself and deny him? Or are you going to be like Peter post-resurrection, walking in the renewal and restoration and redemption the Lord has given us in his death, burial, resurrection, and ultimately ascension? Verse uh, 16 of Romans 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone that trusts. And what's interesting is most people like to stop at that first comma. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news, most people like to stop there. Almost every graphic you see with this on is just going to have those couple of words, and that's it. Because nobody wants to go on to the rest of this. For I am not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, the bestower, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who trusts, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from trust to trust, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by emunah, by faith. But the righteous shall live by emunah, by faith. That comes from Habakkuk 2.4. Uh, that I, that int- idea of living by faith, by emunah, is a sign of righteousness. We go to Hebrews and it says that because uh, Abraham believed, it was counted as his righteousness. So the question is the world that we live in today, are you going to be the northern kingdom of Israel who completely walked away from the Lord? who is now being beckoned back to the Lord by Hosea, who is being likened and akin to a prostitute chasing after these various Johns all over the place, chasing after the ways of this world, after gods that are not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are you going to be Peter at the Kohen Gadol at the high priest's house, who in the face of everything going on in the days to come, this is the beginning of the end of days. We are living there now. I fervently believe it. Messiah could return next week. He could return a decade from now. He could return 30 years from now. I don't know when, but we are living in the end days. We are living in the days in which Yeshua says, even some of the elect will fall astray. We are living in the days when brother hates father when we call what is evil good and what is good evil. We are living in days when people forsake the word of God, forsake righteousness, forsake morality. We're living in the days when there are great tremors of the earth all over the place. Natural disasters happening all around us, wars and rumors of wars. And this is not to be an alarmist. This is not to scare you into something, but this is to, to wake us up to the reality that we don't have much time left of God's time to waste. It's time that we proclaim the words of Peter in John 8 and John 21. You know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. And become shepherds. It is time for us to proclaim the words of Paul in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the good news. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who trusts. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. The Greek makes it more along these lines. To the Jew first and likewise or in the same way to the Gentile. It's time that we decide as believers that we are going to walk for Messiah no matter what. And as Messianic believers, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile in a Messianic community walking out the Messianic life, buddy, you better believe it's not going to be easy. And if it's been easy thus far, it's only because you haven't actually told anyone else yet. It's not going to be easy. Many of you are walking through some of the same things with your family that most Jewish believers go through upon accepting Yeshua. Many of you are suffering literally on behalf of Messiah. And trust me, it would be much easier for us to just wash our hands of it and be like everyone else. But the Lord does not call us to easy. Messiah says, as we said the other day, Messiah says, they will hate you because of me. He never promises that the walk of faith is going to be easy. Or it's going to be uh, uh, all marshmallows and rainbows. He says it's going to be tough. That everyone is going to hate us. That people are going to beat up on us. The days are coming where we will see swords to our throats. Demanding we denounce Yeshua. Are your words going to be Peter at the trial at Kohangadol's house? I don't know him, it wasn't me. Or are your words going to be, Paul's, I am unashamed of the gospel of Yeshua Mashiach. Is your life going to shine the light of Messiah as God has called for Israel to be? And we are all, Jew and non-Jew alike, as being bought by the blood of the Lamb, part of the commonwealth of Israel, God has called us to be a light to the nations. Are you going to be a, a light of Messiah to the nations? Or are you going to put a shade over it. Try and hide it. It's not going to be easy anymore, people. It's just not going to happen that way. Read Matthew 24. Tell me you're not seeing some of these things happen today. It's time that we buckle our boots, we put on our breastplate of righteousness, we grab our sword. We go around sharing Messiah like we've never thought possible. Unashamed, unafraid, unbridled. Fully empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Because this world today needs the hope that we have. This world needs to hear the word Shuvah Asrael Adalonai Elohecha. Shuvah Ha'aretz, Adalonai Elohecha. Return, O Earth to the Lord your God. It's time that we, the body of Messiah, the believers, the bride of Messiah, decide that we're going to actually not just live our faith in these four walls, but that we're going to walk in every moment of our lives. Because you and I are not only carrying the breath of life, we are carrying the Ruach HaKodesh, which was given to us for signs and wonders for others' lives to come to know Messiah. And we've been wasting it, just as Israel wasted the temple and wasted Jerusalem, the city in which the Lord placed His very name upon. Just as we wasted Messiah in His first coming. Just as Peter wasted his three and a half years of ministry in that one split moment. Just as many of us have wasted in fall after fall after fall after fall after fall. And yet, who's there to help us back up again every Single time. He says he can and will restore us. Not for our sakes. But for the world around us. He has not destroyed us. So that the world around us can see his restoration and redemption. Israel. The Jewish people will never be destroyed. Ever. So that the world around us can see his redemption and restoration. The body of Messiah will not be destroyed so that the world around us can see his redemption and restoration. You and I were placed here so that we can lead others to the Lord in these days, at this hour, during these trials and tribulations. Most of the body of Messiah around us is just trying to placate the world. But I truly believe the Messianic Jewish movement stands today. To be the head not the tell to usher the body of Messiah back into a deep faithfulness a deep emunah in the Lord and we've got to make that choice ourselves it's an independent choice to declare I am not ashamed of the gospel I am not ashamed of the gospel I am not ashamed of the gospel Yeshua you know I love you Yeshua you know everything you know I love you Yeshua, I love you. The same restoration and redemption that was allowed for Peter that was available for Israel and for Judah is available for you and I. And it's available for every single soul who carries the breath of life in them. It's our job to take it out there. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for your conviction. Father, I thank you for those periodic slaps in the back of the head to awaken us up to the reality of the call you have given us. Father, I thank you that you cherish us and love us and desire relationship with us, not for our own sakes, but that others may find you through what you've done in our lives. I thank you that you have allowed us to be redeemed from our mistakes to be a testimony to others. Father, in the same sense that we should not hide the work of Messiah in our life, we should also not hide the redemption of Messiah in our life. Because each of us have been through things, have done things, have harmed people in ways that are contrary to you. And Father, you've brought us back from those so that we can speak life into others' lives in ways that no one else can. Because we've gone through what they've gone through. We've experienced what they've experienced. We've been broken like they have been broken. And Father, we proclaim that I am unashamed of the good news of Messiah Yeshua for it is salvation. The shame is sure